We got a special treat for you today, and uh, I want to introduce my good friend, Paul Schleker. Some of you guys might know him. Uh, he's famous for his sweater vest that he wears most Sundays, and um, I really do want to show some honor to Paul because Paul is an elder at our church, been an elder, city group leader. He was here at the very beginning when it was just a few people praying in a living room, and, uh, and he was one of the faithful few. He's been a friend to me, a, a preaching coach. And, um, and so I'm excited to hear him preach the Word of God. When he's not here, uh, Monday through Friday, um, he is a financial professional who's worked in our city for decades and given leadership. And so we're so excited. One of the things you might not know about Paul is that he has literally uh, been preaching the Bible for over 300 years. And so, um, really, Paul's been gone for uh, about a year since the last time you preached here at City Light. And we've got about... <clears throat> 700 emails saying, bring back that old guy that's really good at preaching. So today is the day we have finally caved in and gotten over our insecurities and said, okay, let's bring the big dog back up. And so anyways, would you guys please welcome up my good friend, Paul Sheeker, as he preached the word. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. I uh, really appreciate the chance to be here. You know, Chris... Chris's middle name is Fun. Have you ever noticed that? It's Chris Fun Haruska. I mean, whatever he's doing, he's going to have fun. I think Chris could go to the dentist and be having a root canal and be having a lot of fun. Last night at 9.48, he texted me and said, preach and have fun. Well, it sounded to me like a verse from the Bible, so I just said, okay, I'm going with that, and uh, here we are. So this morning, I want to look at the humility of Christ, and have a lot of fun along the way. So we're looking at Philippians chapter 2. Please open your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2. Before there was Star Wars, there was Star Trek. Yes. We're going to beam some people up if this doesn't go well, okay? So here we go. Now, as you know, Star Trek takes place in the 23rd century, and the Starship Enterprise is led by Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock. Since 1979, there have been six original Star Trek films, four next-generation films, two Star Trek reboot films, with two more to come, and the next one is coming out this summer in July. But before all of those spin-offs, exactly 50 years ago, on September 8, 1966, the very first episode of Star Trek began like this. Watch the screen. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Now, I don't know about you, but suddenly I'm in the mood for popcorn. Is, do you feel that right now? Men and women, according to the Bible, the final frontier for God was something quite different. 
for God, the final frontier was not going into space, but coming down to earth. For God, the final frontier was not seeking out new civilizations, but rescuing helpless sinners. For God, the final frontier was becoming a man and then dying on the cross, and that is truly where no man had ever gone before. But since Christ's death and resurrection has already been completed, today we're going to learn that God has one more frontier for you and me, and that is to get the mind of His Son into us, and specifically to fill our hearts with His humility. That is the final frontier. Now at City Light, this is our fourth message in the book of Philippians. And so far we've learned that the Apostle Paul had a special relationship with this church, primarily because he was their founding pastor. Furthermore, we've learned that when this letter was written, all was not well. The Philippians were facing growing opposition from the Roman Empire, and Paul, their beloved founding pastor, had been arrested and put into prison. Now, frankly, we probably don't realize how traumatic this was to their church. Seriously, if we had learned that our founding pastors, Gavin and Chris, had been arrested by the government and put in prison, it would be unsettling. Well, for Chris, it was just a matter of time, but you know what I'm trying to say. Chris, I love you, man. Now, men and women, why... Why did the Apostle Paul write this letter? Well, obviously, it was to tell the Philippians that he loved them and to thank them for their support and to reassure them that he was fine and that even his imprisonment had advanced the gospel. But the primary reason, listen to me, the primary reason that Paul wrote this letter was to gently but firmly tell them, be conscious of God's grace and act like a citizen of heaven. That is the reason the the letter was actually written. Be conscious of God's grace and act like a citizen of heaven. Well, what does that mean? Well, the answer is in in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is the way a citizen of heaven would live. So this is the main reason Philippians was written. Everything before leads up to this verse. Everything afterward explains how to do this verse. And the two dominant themes from this point on are unity and humility. In other words, if you are united and humble, the gospel will advance. But if you become divided and self-centered, the gospel will lose its appeal. So Paul's message to them and to us is the same. Act like a citizen of heaven. Be conscious of God's grace and let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now my sense is that their nerves were a little frayed. So to build their confidence, he reminds them of what God has done for them. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Now, the emphasis here is be conscious of God's grace. He's on your side. He sees you. He loves you. He cares about you. It sounds to me like an old familiar hymn. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. 
No friend like him is so high and holy, and yet no friend is so meek and lowly. No, not one. No, not one. There's not an hour that he is not near us. No night so dark, but his love can cheer us. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. Men and women, there is no Facebook friend like Jesus. No, not one. Now, confident of God's love, Paul now calls them to embody the humility of Christ. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 11. He says to them, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, for the record, City Light has been looking for a long time for a truly humble person to preach this sermon on humility, and trust me, they're still looking. That being said, the subject of humility is difficult for a couple of reasons. First, no one is naturally humble. Because of sin, our natural instincts are anti-God, pro-self, and hard on others. The naturally humble person does not exist. Second, most cultures view humility as a weakness and not a virtue. In the first century, humility was demeaning at best and shameful at worst. Today, humility is not one of the 34 themes in Strength Finders. Since humility is easier to describe than define, consider this. A humble person is low-maintenance. A humble person is modest, seeking obscurity and shunning publicity. A humble person is not overly sensitive or easily offended. A humble person serves without caring who gets the credit. A humble person is secure with God's acceptance and approval. A humble person is content, not prone to compare or complain. A humble person recognizes that the esteem of the world is not worth the effort. As A.W. Tozer once pray, prayed, Lord, deliver me from the desire to be wise and the desire to be considered wise by those as ignorant as myself. With all that in mind, our first application is in humility, submit your status to God. In humility, submit your status to God.
In verses 6 through 8, Paul explains how Jesus submitted his status to his Father in heaven. But before we look into this and go any further, I want you to look at the screen at this humorous drawing that I, see from a, I received from a co-worker this past Easter. It says, he's not in there. Oh, wait, he changed his status to risen. Now, I don't care who you are. That is really funny. <laughs> he changed his status to risen. Now, it's true. In this passage, it says that in verses 9 through 11, that Jesus' status went up to risen and beyond. On Easter morning, yes, his, his status went to risen, and after that, his status went to all authority in heaven and earth. And today, Jesus enjoys the status of having the number one name in all the universe. And sooner or later, everyone is going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. They will acknowledge his status. Yes, ultimately, Jesus' status went up. But that is what happened after Jesus submitted his status to his heavenly Father. Not before. It was, it's what happened to Jesus after he submitted his status to God. So let's go back and see where this submission begins. Go back to verse 6. In verse 6, Paul portrays Jesus in heaven equal with God. Now I ask you, is there any status higher than equal with God? I'm not thinking of it. But in humility, Jesus let go of that status. In verse 7, it says, Jesus emptied himself and was born into the world as a man. So from equal with God to being born a baby on Christmas Day. In humility, his status went down. And then in verse 7, it says, as a man, Jesus took the form of a servant. The word means slave, one who has no rights, one who gives himself to another's will. So from man to slave, his status went down again. But he's not done. In verse 8, he humbled himself to the point of death, down again. And then death on a cross, down again. Now, I have no idea how many times you've changed your, face, your status on Facebook. And I have no idea why you've changed your status status on Facebook. But in these three verses, Jesus changed his status three times all downward, all down, from God to man, man to slave, slave to crucified. Why? Because our welfare mattered more than his status. That's why. We mattered more than his status as equal with God. Amy Carmichael was born in 1867, and she died in 1951 at the age of 83. She is most famous for serving orphans as a missionary in India for 55 years. Because of a freak accident, her status was changed to bedridden. Not for a week, not for a month, not for a year. Bedridden for the last 20 years of her life. Not only that, she had a personal caregiver that didn't do a very good job. And her doctor asked her if she wanted someone else assigned to her. But Amy said, well... Nobody really wants her, and I think I can help her. 
Amy once received a letter from a young lady who was considering life as a missionary. And in her letter, she asked Amy, what is missionary life like? And Amy wrote back saying, missionary life is simply a chance to die. For Jesus, leaving heaven was a chance to die. Initially, his followers didn't understand it, but eventually they got it, and today we sing about it. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Oh, that old rugged cross, so despised by the world, has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. To the old rugged cross I will ever be true, its shame and reproach gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away, where his glory forever I'll share. Let's sing the refrain together. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday for a crown Act like a citizen of heaven Be conscious of his grace, give your status to God, and let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that brings us to our second application. In humility, give status to others. First, submit your status to God, but now give status to other people. In verses 3 through 4, Paul explains what the humility of Jesus looks like in ordinary relationships as we have with each other. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So in humility, give status to others. Now how do you do that? You simply view them as more significant. And how do you do that? You put others' interests ahead of your own. Now, frankly, we would all admit that these verses sound a lot more like Jesus than us. Wouldn't that be true? Now, why is that? Because the Bible reveals that our natural instincts are all selfish. Our natural selfish instincts are like the lens that covers our eyes. We never actually see this lens but we actually see everything else through this lens. The Bible calls this lens the self-life, and we don't usually recognize it until we are asked to count someone else more significant than ourselves. That's when we realize that the self-life is real, and that's when we realize that to be like Jesus, self must be dethroned. Some years ago, Peggy and I were at a wedding reception, and everyone was going around the table sharing stories about their wedding day. The pastor who performed the ceremony that day was actually sitting at our table, and he asked us how old we were when we got married. And I told him, well, we were both 20. And he said, Peggy, in his 20s, what was Paul like? And without hesitating, 
Peggy said in his 20s, Paul was driven and insecure past the salt. Now, I couldn't decide if I was more impressed with the fact that she was able to condense my entire adult life into two words, or whether it was the fact that she didn't even have to think about it. I mean, she just said it. It's like she knew the question was coming. I never forgot that moment, because on that day it hit me. Driven and insecure people do not give status to others. They're too preoccupied with their own ambition. They're too emotionally immature. They're too much in a hurry to notice those around them. They don't act like a citizen of heaven. And in my life, those instincts have not been fully eliminated. But slowly, by the grace of God, they have diminished. Recently, my my mother gave me a box of stuff that she had saved from my childhood. In this box were all of my report cards from the first to sixth grade. On each report card were my grades, my teacher's comments, and my mother's response. My first grade teacher wrote, Paul is a cooperative member of the class. My mother wrote, We hope he continues to be this way. But after that, things began to slide downhill. (laughs) Apparently, I peaked academically somewhere between the first and second grade. (laughs) My second grade teacher wrote, Paul has a problem with unnecessary talking. It's third grade. Paul needs to start listening and stop talking. Fourth grade, Paul hasn't learned to control his talking. Fifth grade, Paul does everybody's work but his own. Sixth grade, Paul needs to read more and stop talking. Every year, my mother's response was basically the same. We are aware of his problem. We are hoping Paul will learn to control his problem. We are still working on his problem. Now, the good news is my therapy sessions are almost over. But some years later, I remember another report card. In the early days of our marriage, Peggy and I got into a big fight. It was not much fun. And during this fight, in effect, I gave Peggy a report card on how she was doing as a wife. And she gave me a report card on how I was doing as a husband. Exactly. (laughs) In short, I informed her of the subjects she was failing. And she informed me of the subjects I was failing. But the subject we were both failing was called giving status to others. The subject we were both failing was called considering others more significant and looking out 
for the interests of others. The Apostle Paul wrote, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. We were being childish. And childish people do not give status to others. Although we were Christians, we were not acting like a citizen of heaven. And our manner of life was not worthy of the gospel of Christ. Last November, Peggy and I visited our daughter, who is a missionary in Mali, West Africa. And one Sunday, while we were there, Carrie took us far out into the bush to attend a Sunday church service. This church knew Carrie and her co-workers very well because they had raised money for this village and this congregation way out there to put a steel roof on top of their church building. And so naturally, when Carrie and her friends and then mother and father showed up, I mean, we were all the guests of honor. Well, following the church service and in keeping with their culture, all the Malian women spent the next three hours preparing the meal while all the Malian men and all the rest of us just relaxed and talked. When everything was prepared, the Malian pastor's wife approached our group, knelt down to the ground, and bowed before her husband and said, the meal is ready. It was so moving, and I just wanted to ask her, how long would it take you to train Peggy to do that? <laughs> there was a sweetness about her. She acted like a citizen of heaven, and she considered us more significant and her life was worthy of the gospel of Christ. Years ago, I used to conduct interviews for sales positions in my company. And I remember, I vividly remember interviewing a 25-year-old recent college graduate one day. And when the interview ended, we always asked the candidates the very same question. If we had two equally qualified individuals, you and someone else, and we simply couldn't make up our mind as to who to hire. Why should we choose you over the other person? And this man said, because I have given myself to success. Whatever the price, I'll pay it. Whatever it takes, I'll do it. There's nothing I won't do to prove that I am a success. I have given myself to success. At that point in his life, his final frontier was his own success. And what I want to ask you this morning is, at this point in your life, is your final frontier your legacy or God's glory? My friends, City Light Church exists to bring glory to God. So being conscious of God's grace, let's submit our status to God and give status to one another. And let's act like citizens of heaven and let's live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Christ. For you, for me, for the people of God. That is the final frontier. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we bow before you right now, humbly admitting that we lack this spirit of humility. And we humbly acknowledge that we are, we are just amazed. It's just beyond our words to be able to express what's in our heart when we saw the status that Jesus gave up for our welfare, to realize that we mattered more than his status. Oh, Father, we need this spirit in our hearts. And we pray that you would infuse by your spirit this into our mind, our will, our actions, our attitudes. And give us the spirit that Jesus had that would lay down his life for his friends. And I pray that you would help us to learn how to treat one another with the same kind of dignity and respect so that our lives would be a reflection and be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Help us, Lord. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.